and we gave some people our scale and those people lost 0.7% of their body weight every month. Human OS. Learn. Master. Achieve. Today I am thrilled to welcome Professor Dan Ariely to HumanOS Radio. Dan is a professor of behavioral economics at Duke University. His work looks into how humans make decisions and how rational or irrational we are on a daily basis. He is the author of numerous best-selling books, including Predictably Irrational, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, and his latest book, Payoff, The Hidden Logic That Shapes Our Motivation. He has also given numerous TED Talks and other popular lectures on decision science that you can find online. And he advises multiple companies to help them create products based off of a better fundamental assumption about what really drives human behavior, including a new body weight scale called Shapa that we will discuss today. Dan, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here. We think we have much more control over how we live than is reality. Tell us about some of the fundamental paradoxes of how we think we decide and behave and how we really decide and behave and what's driving that. Yeah, so maybe my favorite example of this is a study with a company called ExpressScript. And ExpressScript is a a PBM. They basically manage pharmaceutical benefits and they do all kinds of things. Among them, they send people medication over the mail. So imagine that you have like a long-term illness and ExpressScript sends you the medication over the mail every 90 days. Right. And, and one of the things they want to do is they want to switch people from branded medication to generic medications. And they send people letters and they say, please, please, please switch to generics. Uh, you will save money. We will save money. Your employer will save money. The world will be a better place. Uh, but, you know, nothing happens. People don't, people don't switch. Okay. Uh, so they try all kinds of things, including for one year. They tried, they told people, if you switch this year, we will reduce your copay to zero, right? Sounds like an amazing deal, sure. right? But almost nobody switched. Hmm. So, so, so at that point, uh, they came to talk to a group of us uh, of social scientists, and they said, what's happening? How can it be that we offer people to switch from a $20 a month copay, not to the regular $5 a month uh, for generic, but to free, and people, and people don't switch? And they said, could it be that people hate generic medication so much? That even free is not is not working, and and we basically said, look, this is possible, uh, but it's also possible that people just hate doing anything. Mm-hmm. Right? And we said, let's let's think about the little details of what's going on. So when you look at the little details, you say people start with branded, and they could do nothing and end with branded, or they could do something, return a letter, and end with generic. But it's really what we call a confounded design. It's two things at the same time. Mm. It's branded versus generic, but also doing nothing versus doing something. Mm. So which one is it? They're doing nothing versus doing something or they're branded versus generic. So we said, what, what if we reverse things? What if you send people a letter and you say, if you don't return this letter, we're going to switch you to generic automatically. And if you want to stay with branded, then you need to return the letter to us, right? So reversing it, the generic, switching to generics become the no action path. Mm. But if you want to stay with branded, you have to return the letter. Mm. So it turns out that's illegal. Ah. Uh, it's illegal to switch on people's uh, medication. So they, they did something else, what is called forced choice. 
uh, they basically send people a letter and say, you can't do nothing. If you don't return this letter, we will be forced to stop your medications. Mm. But when you return the medication, you could choose generic at this price or branded at this price. There's no free anymore. What happened? 80 to 90% of the people switched. Right? So what, what does it mean? Do people like generic or like branded? Uh, people just don't care. What people hate is returning letters. Right. And when I describe this uh, experiment to people, sometimes they say, oh, come on. You know, wouldn't people return a letter if it could save them 15 or $20 a month every month for the rest of their lives? And then I said, okay, let's think about our own lives. How many of us have a subscription or membership to something that we should be canceling? Mm -hmm. but, but we just don't feel like it today. Next month. Yeah, that's right. So so one one part of, of this, if you think about an insight from social science, is that they, we procrastinate. We don't think about long term. But the second one, and I think this is the more general principle, is that the environment matters. Mm. And, and what, we, what we often think is that our actions are driven by our preferences, mm -hmm. that we have these preferences running in our mind and we just act based on them. The reality is that the environment matters a lot, much more than we think, and we often do what's easy to do, not what we, what we want to do, but then we explain it to ourselves as if we did it based on our preferences and because of that, we don't see how much the environment really influences our behavior. Tell me about interpersonal differences of this behavioral phenotype. So on one polarity, you could call them the, the environmental reactor, right? This is the person who is deciding mostly based off of their surroundings and their, their built environment, their culture. On the other hand, the other polarity, you, we all recognize a person who's more of a rational actor, a person who can set a goal to go to the gym five days a week and does so, the person who can decide to save X amount a month, the person who cancels their subscriptions. So first of all, does this polarity really exist? And if so, what is that fractional breakdown across the population? Do we really see these sort of extremes of people? And what are the forces that can maybe shift somebody in one direction or the other? Even if you do have pretty good controls over some of your behaviors, you also might let that subscription keep going, even though you know you want to cancel it. But you do go to the gym five days a week. What about interpersonal differences? Yes. The last part of your question, I think, is the most important one is, in general, there is a personality trait of grit or self-control that ends up being important, right? And it's yeah. about, um, it's, not, it's not so much about being like the Dalai Lama that you could just stare at a cookie and not care, yeah. but, but it's more about finding little tricks of, of overriding temptation, right? So basically saying, if I want to do this, I make a note from it, I put it in my calendar and I do it. I make a promise to other people, I don't start on other things before I do that. It's, it's more like um, some people have personal tricks mm. to how to trick the system and get them to do things that are good for them in the long term rather than the short term. Mm. And, and that turns out to be um, an important personality, personality difference. Not so much a, a type, I would say, but it's a personality difference. But you're absolutely right that it doesn't seem to describe people as a personality across all domains. Mm. Right, so you could have somebody who is uh, really good at everything at work, but terrible at all the things that they do at home. Right, right, or somebody who is really good when it comes to promises we make to other people, uh, but not good to things that we do personally. So um, there's certainly these these important important differences. Certain people can have things stay in their surveillance, but then. The things that are not, that are less important, that they care about a little bit less. Most humans tend to revert to this sort of behavior of taking the easy path. 
Yeah, and I'm not sure you would call it care a bit less. They end up doing less of it. But, you know, some people, for example, have a really hard time with anything that has to do with food. Mm. It doesn't mean that they don't care about uh, health or eating or so on. They just have a really hard hard time with that. And there are, there are differences on that. And by the way, that's true for lots of personality. Uh, psychologists for a long time have looked for these personality traits that describe how we are across many domains. But, but the reality is that the way personality works is that it's different per domain. Mm. So, you know, you can say, do you like the color red? Maybe you like red shoes and red cars, but not necessarily red jackets or red home or, or red pillows. Right? The, the fact that you are working on a particular type of, of approach to life in some domains doesn't necessarily mean that you do it across domains. Is the right approach to try to then affect control over something that you do care about to increase your motivation somehow for interventions to try to make you more motivated to go out and achieve it? That's probably a common approach. Is that the right yeah. approach? My metaphor for behavioral change is thinking about every task like sending a spaceship to space. Uh-huh. And, and there are basically two types of problems. There's the problem of friction, resistance, and there's the problem of fuel. Then, and the first thing to do is to, is to take the path of least resistance, is to say, how do you reduce friction? So if you want to go to the gym, how do you make it so that it's the easiest thing to do, right? You already packed your clothes, or maybe your clothes are in the gym, or maybe you are setting to meet a friend very close. You, you basically make the process have less friction. And then the second thing is to say, how do we add more motivation, how do we add to the fuel? Mm-hmm. And for example, uh, you could have uh, add some social responsibility or give yourself points. Or you could say, every time I finish exercising, I go to a sauna. Or you do things that take what you do and give you a- an additional reward, doing the right thing for the wrong, for the wrong reasons. And, mm-hmm. and the, first, the first step is usually to try and just reduce friction. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, think about your refrigerator at home. If you open the refrigerator and ask yourself, "What's what do I want to eat?" Most likely, at eye level, you don't have the healthy stuff. Mm-hmm. The healthy stuff is tucked in a drawer at the bottom, that is opaque. Right. If if you want to make it slightly easier to eat the healthy stuff, you want to put fruits and vegetables at eye level and take the unhealthy stuff and hide it in this opaque drawer. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is to create some extra motivation uh, for yourself. And this could be about social recognition. It could be about uh, buying yourself something. It could be about the promise. It could be about the rule. It could be about the ritual. There's all kinds of ways to give yourself extra extra motivation. That's kind of the second part of the of the story. With regard to weight loss in January, that's probably the focus of many people in the United States. Many people are trying to lose at least a few pounds that they gained over the holidays. One, you can modify your environment. So make your environment have better choices and make the choices that aren't so good less visible or remove them entirely. And then also do some things that make your behavior is rewarded. Either you do something that you like doing afterwards, or you do something that gets some social recognition from your friends. And I know that you're working on a new product uh, called the Shape of Scale. So tell us a little bit about this scale. How is it different than a normal scale? Yes. So first of all, I, Nati, my co-founder uh, and I uh, started thinking about weight loss. And 
when you think about weight loss from a psychological perspective, you want to ask the question of what in your environment reminds you about health? What, mm. what is it? And, and the answer is it's basically the scale. If you have some gym equipment, it might be the gym equipment. But, but the scale is the, is the only one main thing that, that reminds you about health. Mm. And, and Nati uh, remarked correctly that he has a scale aversion. Yeah. That stepping on the scale is a very, very unpleasant step for him. And he actually did a study. He took a scale to, to Starbucks and asked people to stand on the scale. And he found that almost nobody was willing to stand on the scale, even if he paid them. And then if they did stand on the scale, the very few people that did had all kinds of stories about, you know, why they were wearing the heavy cotton today or <laughs> so, something else. So right. we said, okay, the scale seems to be a really important, a really important element, but people have a scale aversion and they don't like it. Uh, and then we looked at research on the scale. And it turns out it's really good to stand on the scale every day. Mm -hmm. You remind yourself that you want to be healthy. Yep. Uh, it's good to stand on the scale in the morning, not in the evening. Because in the morning, you remind yourself you want to be healthy and you eat a little bit less for breakfast. Right. If you stand on the scale in the evening, it's too late. You just go to bed. You wake up the next morning. You forget the whole thing. Can't do anything about it then. That's right. Weight also fluctuates a lot. And weight fluctuates creates two things. The first one is what we call gain aversion. So in behavioral economics, there's the notion of loss aversion, that we hate financial losses much more than we enjoy equivalent financial gains. Mm -hmm. uh, in weight, it means that a day that you gain two pounds uh, are really miserable. Days that you lose two pounds are happy, but they don't um, balance each other out. Mm. So imagine somebody that doesn't gain or lose weight, but the weight fluctuates by two pounds up and down. Overall, the experience is going to be negative and then they're going to stop weighing themselves. Yeah. And then another thing that we find is that people expect their body to react very quickly. Right. People say, if I've been on a diet for a whole day, I started yesterday morning, I was on a diet the whole day, I need to see something today. Right? It just seems like the laws of physics, right? You, you haven't eaten much, you know, what's going on? But of course, the body doesn't react this way. Right. So what happens is the body can react in, in 10 days, two weeks, and, and that creates tremendous uh, confusion and annoyance. Like you've been on a diet for three days, <laughs> you step on the scale, the way your weight get, went up by half a pound. Then you do a day of Netflix and cheesecake, and your weight goes down. You know, you, are, you say to yourself, what, what's going on here? And, and by the way, this is true for lots of biological states. Hmm. Right? We expect the body to react very quickly. Right. And if it doesn't, we get very confused. So we said, let's separate the act of stepping on the scale from the act of getting feedback. So we created a scale with no display. Hmm. And if people step on the scale in the morning, we say, congratulations, you've done the right thing. You, stu you stood on the scale. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. That's the right behavior. And then we do give people feedback, but we do it in a five-point feedback scale. You're just the same, nothing happened, slightly better, slightly worse, much better, much worse. And these are kind of bands that mm. are kind of the running average of the last three weeks. And the real change here is to say information is not about historical accuracy. It's about helping you understand the relationship between cause and effect. Mm -hmm. If you started exercising, at some point it would show that your trend is going in the right direction. It might not be very quick, but we'll show you when the trend is actually showing the right way. If you stopped exercising, 
things are going in the wrong direction, we'll start showing to you when we have confidence that this is actually in the wrong direction. The other thing we're doing is we celebrate when nothing bad happens, right? When you stay the same, this is actually quite quite good. You, you mentioned earlier that lots of people gain a few pounds at the end of the year. Um, if we could just get people, that's a very common pattern. People gain four or five pounds at the end of the year and never lose it, right? If we could just get people not to gain those those pounds, that would be tremendous success. So, so we did a large study. We went to a call center. Uh, these are relatively low income, relatively obese people. And we went there because it's easy to change the behavior of people who are really interested. It's much harder to get a group of people who are, you know, not doing that well from a health, weight, or financial perspective mm. and try to change them. And we gave some people the regular scale, and those people gained a little bit of weight every month. And we gave some people our scale, and those people lost 0.7% of their body weight every month. It's kind of an amazing when you think about it, just looking at the scale and changing our perspective on it can make it to a very appealing tool. And in our study, 80% of the people stood up on the scale six times or more per week. Right. Wow. Basically, the moment you take this number out, the scale becomes much more appealing. People are much more interested. They stand on it. They remind themselves, and then they take the right steps. Now, this was zero point seven percent of body weight. You know, the ideal is one. There's still some room for growth, but but it's wonderful that just changing the scale gets you really a long way toward toward our goal in terms of. Of body weight and as a, as a social scientist you know it's kind of it's kind of opened my eyes to say what if we took the social science lens and looked at lots of things around our lives right well what what other products would we change or improve look differently so the act of stepping on a scale has potential benefit but the punitive nature of the fact that there is natural fluctuation to weight even if it's heading in the right direction will focus people's minds on the positive aversion. So the gains and that'll overall for some people shape the experience as being a negative one. In this case, since you're not giving feedback directly about a precise weight measurement that you remove that barrier and people are more likely to step on that scale more frequently. And as a result, that morning trigger is then going to potentially stimulate better activities that actually get you results day by day. And that did lead to more weight loss than a regular scale. That's exactly right. And, um, a lot of diet programs, what they do is they say, don't stand on the scale every day. Right. Right. Stay once a week. But, but and it's kind of a, a hack to try and deal with this, but it's not the right way to deal with this. The right way to deal with this is just to say, let's, let's give different granularity of information. Let's make the information more useful rather than not step on the scale. The shape of scale, people stepped on it six times a week. How many times did people step on the normal scale in that same study? Yeah, so basically they don't. They don't use it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, that's that's the regular that's the results from the regular scale. Right. Right. You get the regular scale, it it gives you an unpleasant number and very quickly it ends up under the bed or you know, hiding somewhere. Even looking at it is unpleasant. Right. Do you think that this scale is particularly good for people that are wanting to lose weight? What about people that, now that they've lost weight, are they going to continue to want to use it for weight maintenance? Are people going to continue to yep. use the scale years out? Yeah. So so one thing, we, we went to this call center and we gave it to everybody. 
right? So we didn't want to do a study that basically says who want to lose weight and the people who don't want to lose weight. We didn't want this to have this self-selection. So we went to a call center and we gave it to all the employees. And, you know, so there was a, it's a range of people who want to lose more or less. Uh, many of them are not not that not that interested, but but we got we got to a whole range of of people. And um, we the, the other nice thing about this five point feedback mechanism is that we can adjust it depending on where people are in their journey. Mm. Right. So so we right now we have a whole standard deviation dedicated to nothing bad is happening. Right, slightly better, slightly worse, much better, much worse. Nothing bad is happening, but as people um, kind of arrive at different places in their weight loss journey, uh, we adjust the algorithm to to, to give more uh, weight to what their current goal is. Right? right, and and we have lots of ideas about how to do it. We also have an algorithm for weight gain for either people with anorexia or uh, women who are pregnant and want to weight, gain weight, but in a specific specific approach. But you're absolutely right that the scale needs to the the feedback mechanism need to adjust based on your person the person's goal and to give them positive feedback uh, when when they're at that stage. So so in a, a regular person with a regular scale, if they reach their ideal weight, the scale doesn't tell them, you know, great. It, it still shows you went up by 0.2 pounds or down by 0.2 pounds and you keep on worrying about it even if it's not if it's not the right thing. Our scale is is designed to take that into account and give people the sense of you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing. Is there a way for people to see what their actual weight is? Can you <laughs> dive three steps down into the app to actually get there? So in the first version of the app with the study that I just described to you, we didn't have it. Okay. And uh, people wanted it, and I yeah. said no, <laughs> and we didn't give it to them. Um, uh -huh. The current the current version of the app uh, has the weight as as you said. It's not the most immediately visible thing. It you have mm -hmm. to to dig for it a little bit, but it also doesn't give you your weight today. It gives you mm -hmm. the average of the first ten days that you used the Shaper scale. And it gives you the average of the last 10 days, right? I think that's so, smart. So, so you get a sense of, of what your weight is because some, you know, sometimes people would ask you and say, how much do you weigh? And you don't want to say, I'm green, right? <laughs> I was tired, you know. <laughs> I, I was, right. I was trending toward red, but when I'm, you have to have a language uh, for this. So right. we are giving this to people, but, but we're doing it at, at the average of the last 10 days. I like that. I think giving people an average makes sense. If you just happen to step on it once a week and you're on a day where you're holding a little bit more water, it could make it seem like a good week was a bad week. So <laughs> right. trends are good. Yeah. Well, Dan, I know our time is short here today, but thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's a really interesting concept and uh, I wish you all the best success with it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and come visit us soon at humanos.me.